This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. So as you can see by the title, we're going to be talking about the love of God this morning. I want to start with Micah chapter 7, verse 18. There it said, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. What a wonderful saying this is that paints us a picture of who God is. And something that I want to focus on here is that God delights in mercy. And this is really who our God is, isn't it? Our God is almighty, he's all-powerful, he's never-ending, he's everlasting, and we're told that he delights in mercy. We're also told that his mercy endures forever. In Psalms 136, verse 26, it says, Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. I'm so thankful that this is the God that I serve. Now, when you think about God, how do you, how do you think of God? Do you think of God as someone who delights in mercy? Or do you think of God as someone who is wanting and desiring and longing to bless us with his mercy? We're told that our God delights in mercy. And, that, and we're told that his mercy endures forever. And we're told... In Psalms 86.15, it says there, But thou, O God, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. God delights in mercy, and he is full of mercy or plenteous. So let me ask you this. Do you think that God has enough mercy to forgive you of your sins? I've heard it said, and you've probably heard it said, you know, well, I don't, God can't forgive me for what I've done. If you don't think that God is merciful, if you don't picture God as being a merciful God or as a God that can forgive you of your sins, then you need to rethink your image of God because the scripture tells us that he, it's his delight to offer his mercy to us and that he's full of mercy. And something that goes hand in hand with mercy is what we read in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. And I have that highlighted here because that's what I want to focus on. Not God is full of love or God is loving, but God is love. Do you know what that means? What does it mean to say that God is love? Well, what is love to you? What do you think of when you think of love? So I want to explore a little bit more about what this means. God is love. In John chapter 3, verse 16, everybody uh, here has heard this verse most likely. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you think that this is love? Now let me ask you this. Do you think you could sacrifice your firstborn child or your only child 
God has a tremendous love for us that we can't comprehend. Now, I've sinned, and, and I, I sin more times than I can count. And yet, even with all my sin, even with all the times that I've practically spit in the face of God, God sent Jesus to die so that he could cover my sin. So that in the day of judgment, God can see Jesus in me. And even beyond this, God has loved us more. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, where we read, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. God is such a love that he will call us his children. Us, the people who killed his son, the people who sin and fail him time after time. And yet, God will call us his child. And God will take us back. What an amazing love this is that our God has. Is there any way that you can think or any situation that you can think of where you could love a group of people who murdered your child? Or is there a situation that you could call that group of people your children? I don't know if that kind of love is possible as a human Perhaps God is the only person who can have this kind of love. But I'm sure you know that we are commanded to love. And we're commanded to dwell in love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, there it says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Whether or not it's possible for us to love like God, God wants us to be a loving people and he wants us to be a person who dwells in love. So what does it mean to dwell in love? Well, to dwell is, um, means to live in a certain place. So we could say to dwell in love means to live in love, to live your life loving. Perhaps even being a, the person that people can say, well, yeah, they're, they're a loving person. Love is a defining characteristic of who they are. No matter what we think about love, the Bible tells us what love is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Uh, in, in this version, it uses the word charity, but um, charity translated means love. So we read here, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. We read there in verse... Four, it says love suffers long meaning that if you have love for someone then you'll suffer for them and it's easy to see the suffering that our Lord has gone through for us isn't it he let his son die on a disgraceful cross he forgives us time after time and redeems us from our sins it says love is kind meaning that if you love someone then you will overall through anything after any kind of transgression, you are still 
going to love those. And this is another aspect of God that we can see clearly, isn't it? God is so amazingly kind to us. He blesses us beyond all measure. He blesses us with comfortable lives and with exceeding blessings that we can't count. It says love doesn't envy, meaning that if you love someone, then you will love, you will, um, love whenever good fortune comes upon them. When others are blessed, we will rejoice in their good fortune. How easy is it to see that God rejoices when we have success? God rejoices when we obey him and when we live faithful to his word and to his teachings. It says, love vaunteth not itself, or love doesn't boast. Do you think that God boasts about his creations? Does God boast about himself, or does God send part of his being to earth to live as a human and to die at the hands of his creation? Love is not puffed up or isn't proud. God tells us to avoid pride and to not be prideful. Do you think that our God is a hypocrite? And again, we can see that God has no pride. He sent part of his being to be subject to us, to his creation. Love does not behave itself unseemly or is not rude. How could we ever make the case that God doesn't fit this description as well, that our God is rude? We could never say that God would act in a dishonorable manner or concern himself over others because he didn't. He lived life just as we have with the pain, with strife, and with stress and suffering. It says, love seeketh not her own or is not self-seeking. Does our God want to make his power and might known to the world by condemning his creation to hell? Or does God long to show his mercy? To seek the safety of our spirit is something that God loves and he loves for us to enjoy. It says love is not easily provoked or, or love is not easily angered. Do you think God rushes toward anger when we fail him? When we sin against him? Does any example of God relate God to being easily provoked? Or do we have countless examples of a God who deals with the belly aching of the children of Israel for years and years do we have countless examples of a God who will forgive us for any wrongs as long as we're willing to obey and to repent? Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. God does not rejoice in seeing many of his creation living in sin. God doesn't rejoice in the deeds of evildoers. God rejoices when he sees his children living in his ways, and he rejoices when a lost sheep returns to him. It says, love beareth all things. We could also say, uh, change those words to say that love always protects. God wants us to expose our sin to him. But God doesn't want, want uh, to cause harm or danger to us. God wants us to be restored. God wants to bear our burdens to, and to restore us to righteousness so that we can live a meaningful life honoring him. Love believeth all things or always trusts. God sees the best in us. He sees our good intentions. He sees when we're making an effort to live righteously. And God wants us to be the best righteous servants that we can be. It says love hopeth all things. God always wants the best 
When we're concerned, when we're worried, God gives us hope that we can find in our darkest hours. And God is our hope that drives us from day to day. It says love endures all things. God is always there, even in our most difficult hours. God perseveres and is always with us. And finally, it says love never fails. God's love goes beyond the boundaries of any ordinary love. It never ceases. God has loved his creation since our first breath, since our first transgression, and since our first belief. God will never fail us or forsake us. Here in 1 Corinthians, each aspect of love defines God in so many ways. And each of these things are all faithful and true. If we continue to read in 1 Corinthians, there in verse 13, it says, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity or love. Love is God's defining characteristic. It's the biggest part of who our God is. And I think there's a great and powerful lesson to be learned from this fact that God is love and he expects us to love. And I want to close with this example of our God. It's an example that I once heard presented by Brother Mark Parkhurst. It was here in this building. But I want to present it again to you today. This example and lesson comes from the book of Hosea. In the book of Hosea, Hosea writes, or Hosea is writing for about the first three chapters about things that are happening in his own life. And in these things that are happening in Hosea's life, uh, they're supposed to represent and give an image of God's relationship with the children of Israel. So we know Hosea is a servant of God, and Hosea is told to marry this woman who is a harlot. So, you know, you kind of wonder, well, why would God tell Hosea to do this? Well, this is done to show us and give us an image of God and his chosen people. In Hosea 6, verse 6, we read, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Here, Hosea is writing about his own life. And... While doing so, he's also writing about the children of Israel being um, likened to an adulterous bride, if you read the surrounding verses. Um, so Hosea's woman has been unfaithful to him. And you can imagine, if you had an unfaithful wife, how that would just destroy you. Imagine how God feels when we are unfaithful to him. And ask yourself, what do you want from your bride, from your husband or your wife? Do you want worship? Do you want service? What does God want from us? In Micah 6, verses 6 through 8, we read, Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with, 10, with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. He hath showed me, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Will God be satisfied with this? Will God be satisfied with my best calves? Will God be pleased if I give him thousands of rams? Can I satisfy God with ten thousands of rivers of oil? 
And look at how this, this list grows. My best calves, a thousand rams, 10,000 rivers of oil. How about my firstborn child to pay for my transgressions? Aren't you happy that, that you don't serve a God like this? This is an exaggeration here that Micah writes to show the children of Israel and to show us that we can't satisfy God by any rituals that we perform. Now we're commanded to sacrifice. We're commanded to sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The best and really the only thing that you can offer God is yourself. But our sacrifices are not to be this exaggeration that Micah wrote about uh, to show the children of Israel. Our sacrifice isn't to be one of these things that will impress or be some kind of big show. But we give ourselves to God because it's reasonable. But the things that Micah talked about are not reasonable. It's not reasonable to give your firstborn child. And that's not who God is. That's not what our God wants. God wants us to live humbly in obedience to him. He wants us to walk justly with him. And he wants us to love mercy. Now the end of the story in Hosea, we read um, where Hosea, uh, we see him take the role of God with his wife. And we see what God did for the children of Israel, and it's what God has done for us. Hosea's wife had run away and left him for another man, and later on she's found at the slave auction. Her new man's gotten tired of her, and he's going to auction her off. And Hosea, he wants mercy. Hosea wants to have mercy, and really he wants his wife back. And this is really what God wants from you and from me. He wants us, and he wants mercy. God wants your love. He wants your devotion because he loves you. And love always wants that in return. So Hosea went down to that auction block, and he sees his wife on that auction block. And the bids rolled out, and you can see Hosea's hand go up. And Hosea bought his wife, and the scriptures tell just how much he paid for her. And he takes her back, and he says, you're my wife. I've bought you. You're mine. Jesus bought you. He paid for you on the cross. And the question is, will you come home with him? Will you love him? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.